<clears throat> Good morning. Glad to see you here. How, how many of you love the cold weather? Yeah, I'm for it. How many of you hate it? Like, yes. It's like half and half. I don't know. You, you win some, you lose some, I guess. So uh, we were in Toronto, and, and uh, this is balmy compared to uh, Toronto last week. It was like nine and two feet of snow. It was crazy. So I'm um, glad to be back. We had a great time away. We took the week after uh, Christmas off, just home, and then we spent two weeks in Egypt with some friends. It was an incredible uh, time. I was geeking out over all the archaeology and history and biblical ties, and it was like nerdville for me, and so I'm, I was really grateful. We were really grateful to get to go. Glad to be home. We're in uh, Romans chapter uh, 9, verses 1 to 18 this morning. Romans chapter 9, 1 to 18. I want to say thanks to Pastor Cade and Pastor Zach for preaching while I was away. We have an incredible group of pastors that can preach, elders that can preach, and I'm so grateful uh, for that. It's a blessing to our church and a gift uh, to all of us. So let's just do this. Let's stand. We'll read Romans chapter 9, 1 to 18, and then I'll kind of explain what is a uh, complicated uh, passage, even a complicated couple of uh, chapters here. So let's just, let's just jump right in. Romans chapter 9, 1 to 18. Here's what it says. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah has conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born and had, not, had done nothing either good nor bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of the works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You can be seated. <clears throat> it's kind of a joke. 
kind of a joke at my house, kind of a joke around here, but it's actually, it's actually a for real kind of scenario. So a lot of times when people ask me, what, what are we doing next? What's coming? What's ahead? Dad, are we there yet? All those kinds of questions. A lot of times I'll answer the question by saying, whatever the Lord has, I have no idea. I don't know, but God is in, in control. When we take these uh, Israel trips or wherever we go, a lot of times people are like, hey, where are we going? What are we doing? What comes next? My answer to the question is, whatever the Lord has. That's the answer to the question. It's kind of a, kind of a joke. It's become kind of a joke because people get sick of that answer. Americans are frustrated with that. They don't like the idea that somehow stuff out there, maybe five minutes from now, five days from now, two years from now, 50 years from now, we don't have control over. And today what I want to do is talk about the issue of God's sovereign choice. And to do this, uh, we have to kind of agree upon some things to begin with. First of all, we're reading 18 verses of Paul's argument. So remember that Romans is a letter written to the church at Rome, and it's meant to be read from start to finish. You don't read a piece of a letter and then put it back. You, you read the whole thing from start to finish. And so it would be good for you and for me to go back and read Romans 1 all the way to the end, again, so we understand all of this in context. Secondly, the argument that Paul is getting ready to make is about a three-chapter argument. So probably what's going to happen today is you're going to leave here with more questions than answers. And so you're going to have to read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. You're going to have to come back for those further further sermons because there's no way to accomplish in a 35-minute time period everything that needs to be accomplished And Paul's not doing it in 18 verses, but he is going to introduce some things that I think are important for us to understand. In fact, they're basic, they're doctrinal, uh, but at the same time, they're provocative topics. So uh, we're going to talk about things in the next three chapters, like what about Israel Um, in light of Jesus coming, in light of Israel not accepting him as Savior and Lord in in large part? What about Israel? What about the sovereignty of God and the free will of humanity? Has anybody ever been caught on that hamster wheel of a discussion? Uh, If you haven't and you're in a life group, you will go round and round in your life groups this week for sure because everybody has an opinion on how this thing works out. And what I want to do is agree upon uh, this that instead of you taking my opinion or me taking your opinion, we'll look at what the scripture says and take it for, for gospel. And so we're going to look at it uh, completely. It's, it's provocative, but it, but it is important. We're going to look at God's righteousness and justice. We're going to answer the question, is he fair? Um, <clears throat> it's important, I think, as we frame this up, to let the word of God teach. So let the word of God speak to you. You come to this with lots of different backgrounds, with lots of different filters. Some of you are Catholic background. Some of you are non-denominational background. Some of you are Southern Baptist background. Some of you have no church background at all. Wherever you're coming from, you need to let the word of God teach about God, right? So we need to agree on that. We need to commit to building our theology on the biblical revelation of the character and purpose of God, purposes of God, 
and sit our own, uh, on our own thoughts laced with what I'm going to call relativism uh, because we're really finite individuals. And so uh, it's important that we come at this in the right, uh, right way. So let's just begin like this. And I'm going to, there's a lot here in the, in the 18 verses, but I, I want to break it down into two big observations and then make some, uh, some important applications. So Romans chapter 9, 1 to 13, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make one clear observation in all of that passage of scripture. And here it is. DNA does not make a person a child of the promises of God. DNA does not make a person a child of the promises of God. Now, this is not my argument. This is Paul's argument. Now, I would go all the way back to Romans chapter 1 when I spent time talking with you about who Paul is. And I'll just remind you of, of one part of who he is. Paul is a Jewish honor student. That's the best way to put it. Like, he's the top of the pyramid, the top of the class when it comes to understanding the the Torah, when it comes to understanding the writings, when it comes to understanding the culture. He's also a Roman citizen, but don't forget his Jewishness. He's very very Jewish. Though he was born in, in a, a Roman town called Tarsus in Asia Minor, he grew up very Jewish. He was, he was uh, discipled by Gamaliel in Jerusalem. There's no better person in that time period than Gamaliel to be discipled by. He's the, he's the, the top of the class at Harvard when it comes to, uh, to, to what it is, means to be Jewish in this time frame. He's a Pharisee. He has authority. He has influence. And he's been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. His Acts 9 testimony is that he met Christ on the road to Damascus and it changed everything for him. And now he's preaching the gospel and he's telling the church at Rome about God's sovereign choice when it comes to Israel and the nations coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And the big observation is DNA does not make a person a child of the promise of God. Now, what we hear here is that Paul is very burdened for Israel, very burdened for his kinsmen. If you go back to the beginning in, in chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, these are his words. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He goes on to say that he wishes that he himself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of his brothers. That's his Israeli brothers, his Hebrew brothers, his Jewish brothers, that they might come to know him. He is, he is burdened for them. A lot of times we think of the Apostle Paul as, as the missionary to the Gentiles, the missionary to the nations, and he was. He took the gospel to Rome, and that's why we get here the, the book of Romans. But he is Jewish at heart, and it is breaking his heart that the Jewish people are rejecting the Messiah that is the fulfillment of all the covenants given to the Jewish people. So here he unpacks it. He's like, think about who these people are. They're Israelites and they belong to the adoption. Think about that. Have you ever wondered like, why did God choose them? I mean, they're small. They're the least of these. 
Why did God choose them in an obscure place, a, a man named Abraham from Ur to come to a land that he didn't know? Why did God choose? I can tell you, I don't know all the answers to the question why God chose Abraham, why he chose to get to adopt him in ways as his son and to to yield uh, through Abraham and all of his fruit, the covenants and the promises and the glory of God. Can you imagine that, it, that in, among these people dwelt the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God? They, they were the keepers of the covenant. They were given the law. The first five books of the Bible that we have on, they were given, it, Moses was given to, and brought it to the people on Mount Sinai. They were taught how to live and how to be. They were given the land, the promised land and, and all, everything that came with, all the promises, including the fulfillment of a throne that would never end through Jesus Christ, the, the Nazarene, the risen Messiah, all of it comes through them. And this is, this is part of Paul's burden is like, Everything has come through them. To them belongs the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed and forever. Amen. So he's very burdened for Israel. And he asked this question kind of out loud to the Roman church. Remember, inside that Roman church, you've got uh, Jewish people who have come to Christ. They become messianic. And you've got people that are Gentile background that come from worshiping multiple gods and doing whatever they want morally. They've all come together in this little house church. And so you've got Jewish people sitting there and and people that are non-Jewish Gentile people sitting there listening to this letter. And he, he asks out loud, does the rejection of Christ and sort of missing this whole fulfillment of the covenant, this salvation, mean in some way that God's word has failed? Because you would think, right, if you, you would think, well, if they, they, they saw the miracles of parting of the Red Sea, they were given the Torah, and they have all of that. God told them that he would take them out of Egypt, and he did it. He would deliver them. He would rescue them. He led them through the wilderness. You know, if I saw a pillar, a pillar of fire by night and a, a smoky cloud by day that God was was leading us by. I mean, I would believe in it. And he brought us, he raised up a new leader, Josh, when he brought us into the land that he told us he would bring us into. And we lived in houses that we didn't build and, and ate from vineyards that we didn't plant and all of those, those things. Our shoes didn't wear out. And we, we, we made it. God did it. If I saw all that, and yet the people of Israel in, in understanding this come to Jesus. And some of them, not all of them. You have to remember, like, the disciples, they're Jewish. You have to remember there were many Jewish people that did come to Christ, that did believe, but there, are, there were many who did not, who rejected. And so Paul is saying, like, to this church, like, does their rejection of Christ, does it mean that, that God's word has somehow uh, failed? Romans chapter 9, verse 6 to 8, it says, but it is not the, as though God... The word of God has failed. For not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel. Hold on to that for just a minute because this is the, the premise of the observation that I'm making. The DNA does not make a person a child of the promise. 
Um, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted to, to him as offspring. Now, when we roll into in Romans chapter 11, it's going to tell us that as Gentiles, we've been grafted in like a wild olive shoot into a cultivated olive tree. The cultivated olive tree is Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And we've been grafted into this. None of the covenants, none of the promises by Jesus. We've been grafted in by Jesus. None of the covenants, none of the promises uh, made to Israel are, go- are going by the wayside. They're going to be fulfilled through Jesus. And this, this tribe of Jesus, this fulfillment of all the covenants is going to be greater than, than Abraham could have ever imagined, than Moses could have ever imagined, than Joshua could have ever imagined, than any of the 12 tribes could have ever imagined because of the work that Jesus has done. David's throne has lasted forever. It will last forever. All the promises are legit. They have not been um, uh, uh, reneged upon. We, we, we haven't circled back, but instead Christ has fulfilled all of them. And Paul's just asking this church, like, do you think that God failed because some of the Jewish people, these people that we have a burden for, they, they have rejected. They haven't come to Christ. It's not so. It's because DNA doesn't make a, church, a person a child of the, the promise. It's heart. When, when we come to the kingdom of God, it's all about the heart. It's all about where you've placed your faith. And many Jewish people have come to Christ because they placed their faith looking in the, in the ancient times, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, then recognizing the Messiah. Now in these days, looking back and, and claiming that Jesus is the Messiah, but many have rejected the Messiah. And Paul's just making this argument like DNA doesn't make a person child of the promise. It, it, <clears throat> sometimes I think about this in, in, in this, this way. A lot of times, People think that because they grew up in the South, they grew up in Texas, and they went to VBS when they were a kid, that somehow they are a a child of the promise. That doesn't make you a child of the promise because you're American, because you're Texan, because you attended a a church and went to VBS. What makes you a child of the promise is that, that you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead. That's what brings uh, salvation. So Paul is just saying, like, it's burdensome. It's killing him. Uh, But at the same time, we need to understand that DNA does not make a person a child of the the promise of God. And and it's spelled out uh, here. It's kind of confusing when you look at this and until you get through all of chapters 9 through 11, because you begin to think, okay, well, somehow the church has replaced Israel. And the truth of the scripture is the church has not replaced Israel. There's, there's a thing called replacement theology that says God has abandoned Israel and now uh, is working only through the church. But the biblical uh, right perspective, the right theology would be that God has fulfilled all the promises to Israel and is grafting in 
the people of God through Jesus back into Israel. And one day, all this is going to come to fruition in a way that even now you can't get your head around. You can't imagine. So Paul is answering big questions here. And he's saying to that church full of Jewish people and full of Gentile background people, DNA does not make a person a child of the promise of God. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean your heart is there. You, you may be, in a sense, circumcised in the flesh, but your heart has not been circumcised. And this is what he's reminding everyone of. Now, that <clears throat> is a, a hard teaching in and of itself, but it goes on. And the second big observation I would make is from Romans chapter 9, 14 to 18, and that is God's work of election is his prerogative for his purpose. Now, this goes back to God's sovereign choice. Romans chapter 9, verse 15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have Compassion. Romans 9, 16. So it, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So let me get this straight. So this God who chose Israel and has given them the promises, they, they have the patriarchs, they have the Torah, they have, uh, they have the, the fulfillment of those covenants. Romans is going to tell us in in chapters 10 and 11 that he has hardened their heart for a season, that the nations might come to him, and the nations would make Israel jealous. Why would that make them jealous? So just think about this for just a minute in practical terms. If I'm Jewish and I'm trying to work my way to God by obeying 613 commands, and I got to wear tassels. I got I to gotta do certain things on the Sabbath. I got to wash certain ways. I got to eat certain ways. I got to keep all the festivals and the holidays. And you're telling me, think about that, that house church in Rome. You're telling me that that guy over there that was worshiping Zeus and practicing uh, idolatry and eating food sacrificed to idols and not practicing what I'm going to call a biblical sexual ethic in any way, he is just as saved as I would be if I came to Christ, but I've been holy and obedient doing all these things. That's frustrating from the Jewish perspective. He can can be saved. He can be a child of the promise. He can be grafted in, and, and he's not kept Sabbath one time in his life. He doesn't even know how to say the Shema, and yet he can come to Christ and say, it's, it's, a, it's a quandary, it's a stumbling block, Jesus says uh, for them. And it doesn't seem uh, fair. God choosing Israel from the beginning. If you ask, you know, we were in Egypt uh, last week, but if you were to go to Lebanon or Syria or Jordan or places in uh, Israel on the West Bank or in Gaza, and you were to ask the question, was it fair that God chose Israel? You might get an interesting answer. Right? There's a question like, is it fair that he chose them, that they, they got the patriarchs, the covenant? With it? Maybe, maybe it is, maybe, maybe it isn't. What about this? Is it fair that God chose Jacob over Esau? Paul, Paul mentions this. 
It's like, okay, so they, they have kids, Jacob and Esau. Esau's the firstborn. He should get the birthright, but, but there's uh, uh, some, some sinister things going on. And the mom decides you know, she's going to trick dad, and he's going to give the birthright to Jacob. And that's exactly what happens. And then all of Israel is all the covenants and everything. It goes through Jacob so much so that this, the text says, God says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. That wasn't Esau's fault. What do you do with that? I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy. I will have compassion upon whom I will have uh, compassion. He, his work of election is his prerogative for his purpose. And sometimes it doesn't seem uh, fair. What about God choosing some, some bloodborne of Israel who have been hardened for a season what, if, what about God choosing some Gentiles over them? It seems unjust, perhaps. Maybe you have an ex- example in your own life that you think like, this is not fair. And maybe it doesn't feel fair. Maybe it doesn't seem fair. But we, we have to understand this is, the, this is the hard part, is that God has the right to choose because he's God. God has the right to choose because he's God. Now, he has the right to offer compassion on whom he will have compassion. He has the right to offer mercy as he chooses. Now, we don't like that as Western thinkers. As Western Christians, we don't like that. Why? Why don't we like that? Because I want a God that I can completely understand and control. And what I want to tell you is that if you can figure out all the mysteries of God, he's not God. We're talking about if you read the scriptures and you begin to wrap your head around God, you will understand that you cannot fathom the greatness of God. You cannot understand how his mind works with your mind. He created your mind with a breath. And as Westerners, especially Americans, we don't like that. We're relativists. We want everything to be equal and fair and right. And sometimes it doesn't feel uh, fair to us. He said it to Job. You ever heard the story of Job? You know, Job... An incredible guy, apparently. Uh, and, and the story goes, as you read the book of Job, that, that the enemy, Satan, Lucifer, he shows up in the, the throne room of heaven in the courts, and he says uh, something to God, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? Like, look at him. And Satan basically says, well, like, if you would let me sift him, if you would let me wreck his life, he won't worship you anymore. And God puts him to the test. Okay, you can do anything you want, just don't kill him. What about Jesus loves me? This I know for the Bible tells me so. And Job does. He goes through, he loses his family, he loses his wealth, he loses physical health. He sits with friends who are like, what did you do? 
curse God and die, man. And though he's honest with God, he doesn't lose his faith somehow. And when he's being honest with God, there's this dialogue and God says to Job, hey, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? When I hung the moon and the stars, when I decided how the ocean tides would come in and out, where were you? And it's a really good question. For us who like to have God all figured out, who are you? Who am I? Where were we? And we have to come, I think we have to come to the understanding that God's work of election is his prerogative for his purposes. I know just as a measly pastor in a church and school situation that there are sometimes I make decisions with information that everybody doesn't have. And sometimes people go, why did he do that? Why would he do that? That's not fair. But I know things you don't know. And, and that's minuscule comparatively to God understanding his purposes, his plans. He sees what's coming, all of it. We have to be careful in not agreeing with the scripture that says that God's election, his choosing, the way he works is for his purposes. Now, I want to draw three applications in one and a half minutes, (laughs) and we'll be done. What does this mean for all of us? 21st century Americans, why do, we, why do we need to think about this? If you're Baptist long time, you're like, is he a Calvinist right now? You're like, is he a Calvinist? I didn't mention that guy one time. I read you the scriptures. And I said, we're not done. So just hang with me. But what applications would you draw? Should we make, based on these 18 verses, Based on what it says about God and people, what, what applications do we draw? So here's what, I, here's what I think. The sovereignty of God is comforting, and it brings hope because we know that he's sovereign over everything, according to the scripture. Like, he's God, so I don't have to be. And nor do you. Uh, whatever the Lord has is exactly that. It's whatever the Lord has. And it brings me comfort in about three different ways. The first way is this, is that he's working his purposes in the world among the nations. He's working his purposes in the world among the nations. A lot of people like to talk about how the world is a dumpster fire. It is. And when you get disheartened about that, maybe you think about war, maybe you think about suffering, maybe you think about disease, maybe whatever it is that you think about, economy, whatever the things are. When you begin to think about that and you think like the world is a dumpster fire, why doesn't Jesus just come back? Or why does God let bad things happen to good people? All this kind of thing. You need to understand that you don't understand. That God is working it all out in his sovereignty. He's using it. He's working through the nations to accomplish 
his purposes. And Paul says uh, this very thing as he says, uh, remember Pharaoh. I was just in the land of Pharaoh. I thought a lot about Pharaoh. In Romans chapter 9, 17 to 18, it says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Even Pharaoh, who held in captivity the people, God raised him up for the glory of his name. Did he make the, God's people suffer? Did Pharaoh make God's people suffer? Yes. Did God use it? Yes. So he's working for his purposes in the world among the nations. In the land of Pharaoh, one of the, one of the, Angela and I have talked about this several times. One of the things that was most exciting to us is we went to this area of Cairo called Garbage City, and it is exactly what you would think. And if you've read about it, it's, it's, it's like the Willy Wonka of garbage factories. It's a whole neighborhood up a mountain where everybody in that neighborhood is collecting the garbage from all of Cairo, bringing it into their homes and their, their manufacturing warehouses and streets, categorizing it, recycling it, using it, and getting rid of, of what's left. And, and, and if, you were, if I were to take you there right now, you would say, this is a horrible smell. These are horrible horrible people. What a poor poor people. But if you keep going through Garbage City to the top, you come to uh, a place, the very top, where uh, a very vibrant church of Jesus Christ is meeting in a cave, and it's a big cave. (laughs) You're talking like 10, 12,000 people worshiping Jesus in Muslim Cairo, on top of Garbage City, and in, in, in the rock, when I walked in, the first thing that caught my attention is they were singing, just getting kind of getting ready for worship like we do, but it says on the rock, amen, come Lord Jesus. And I just thought, this is the land of Pharaoh. This is Garbage City. And Jesus is being proclaimed, and he's being worshiped, and he's being lifted up. Today, I'm on, I, I get a text every morning like 5 o'clock from Trent Henderson at Heritage Park. It's just like, here's the scripture, and let's preach the gospel. Let's give it to the people. And then I, I'm on a text thread with like 25 other pastors here in Houston, and Roger Patterson from West University Baptist Church always starts it off, and then it's like, ba-bing, 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 all over town. People are like, here's a verse, here's a scripture, go get them, share the gospel. The people need it. They need to know that God is working among the nations, that they have hope because he's sovereign over everything. He is choosing and using everything for his purposes. And that gives me hope, even when the world kind of feels like a dumpster fire. The second thing that, the reason it gives me hope is that he's sovereign over suffering. And I know that Cade talked uh, very adequately about that last week. And so I'll just point you back to that sermon, or two weeks ago, because it's important for us to know that God is sovereign over our suffering. If you've ever asked yourself, God, why? Why am I going through this? Just, just wait 
and continue to trust him and be faithful because you will see in the long haul that he's using it to form you for his good and for his glory and your good and maybe for the good of other people as well. It gives me hope because he, he's the one that's sovereign over salvation in the, in the way of salvation, that it comes through Jesus in the pursuit. Like if he's doing the choosing, the electing, and he pursued you by his Holy Spirit, and you heard the gospel and you came to Jesus, that tells me that God is at work in your life, that he pursued you, that he chose you. And you might be saying to yourself, no, I chose him. It's also true. Like I said, hold on. We're only in the first 18 verses. He's sovereign over all that, meaning he's sovereign over what happens to you the moment that you die. Do you know you have no control over anything the moment that you die? You're just going to have to trust that God is sovereign, that all his promises that came through Abraham, the covenants, the patriarchs, the Torah, the Jewish people that were fulfilled in Christ, that they're true. That the gospel is true, and you're going to have to trust the sovereignty in that very moment. And what brings me hope is that your future in Christ is secure because he is sovereign over everything. He does the choosing, and he chooses for his purpose. This is his mercy and his compassion and his sovereignty at work in your life through Christ. And this gives me a lot of hope. It's not based on anything other than his sovereignty. I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10 to close. It's another Roman church, the church at Ephesus. Paul's writing to them. Listen to what he says, and I want you to hear it clearly. Listen to the words, and you, personalize it you, because it's written you, plural, all, all of us who have come to Christ, but you're a part of that. And you were dead in, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. No one's been a Christian their whole life. Everyone once walked in sin, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This was our position with God, children of wrath because of our sin. But God, being rich in mercy, and mercy is the theme and its sovereignty. You'll hear mercy, mercy, mercy. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. That's his work. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, whose grace? His. You've been saved and raised up Who raised you up? He did that and and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For grace, by grace, you have been saved through faith. Capture this, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, So that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, his choice, his creation. He created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What I'm saying to you is that all of your life in Christ is because of the sovereign mercy of God being poured out on you. And that should give you hope. That should fill you with faith. That should give you comfort for what happens the moment your heart stops beating. That should give you hope for today when you're dealing with situations that you don't know how to deal with because he is sovereign over all of it. And that's really, really, really good news. So Paul begins with a burden here for his his people, his brothers who don't know Jesus, have light and access, but they don't know Jesus. And he ends with the good news is that even though it seems unfair to us, God is just, he's fulfilling his promises to Israel through Jesus, and he will show mercy to whom he will show mercy, and he will have compassion on whom he has compassion. And that's his right because he is God. See? So rest in the sovereignty of God. Whatever the Lord has... Because he has it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let's pray. And just ask the Lord to speak to you in these moments. Let's give you just a a minute or two here. Father, we are a people that struggle sometimes with your sovereignty. So let us rest in you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for giving yourself for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you're one God. And you're at work. You always have been and you always will be. And, and in our heads, we get so prideful sometimes and act like we're our own little gods. But Lord, in this moment, we just lay it down and we say to you, like, we don't understand how everything works. We don't understand how you choose and why you choose the way that you do. We don't understand all that, but we know it's because of your mercy to accomplish your purposes. And so we choose to trust you in that. Thank you for allowing us, for choosing to give us access to the gospel that we might hear of your son Jesus and be saved. Father, for anyone who's not saved in this moment, who doesn't know what it means to be changed, that they're they're still kind of living in sin and they are this child of wrath like the the scripture called all of us before Christ. Lord, would you, would you speak to them by your Holy Spirit even in this moment and draw them to that place where they can confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that, that yet you, Jesus, were raised from the dead. We trust you for now. We trust you for tomorrow. We trust you for the future and for the, the restoration of all things. We know that you have it, and so we rest in that. And in the shortness of our days and the smallness of who we are, we choose uh, to trust you and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.